I'm not putting the pressure on myself to come up with a funny cold open for our very last episode of the year. You see, for breakfast, I like to take the egg and the steam and the steam and the egg. That's reductive. That's reductive. (laughs) That's that's reductive. Let me try. I love wheat because it makes my poops better. Here's a little information about my poops. That's pretty good. That's pretty close. Justin, here's a picture of my (laughs) rotten toe that you've begged me to stop (laughs) sending you, yet I continue to send pictures of the rotten toe. And I send them in a style like it is an automated service that I have subscribed to. Sometimes text conversations with Russ turn into like a shock image, like something (laughs) awful forum thread. It's like, yeah. look at all the poop that my baby did on the wall today. It's like, dog. <laughs> I know that you did not invite this at all. At I all. Mean, it's sure. good because this is all stuff that has not ne- necessarily been highlighted on the podcast. So it's good that people understand that there are depths to me that are just. Yeah, yeah, by the end of this show, I want this, I want the bestie subtitle to be a full cataloging of the failures of Russ Rush today. Yeah, this is... <laughs> <laughs> one that Russ said in July when I was talking about his son it said Russ texted out of the blue and said it's pretty wild how big he's gotten it goes pretty fast and I said thinking he was talking about his son I said yeah enjoy it as much as you can people always say that and but you should always do that all the time I think you know like try to enjoy it as much as you can and Russ said yeah I'm trying to here's how far we've come and then he sent me five time coded pictures of his rotten toe beginning in September of 2020 and ending in July 21 <laughs> it's it's almost healed for what it's worth yeah great we were all on fucking pins and needles yeah I'll be real. I'm just kind of sad. I thought he was only sending this stuff to me. I thought we had something <laughs> special. He's been, and you know what's fucked up? He's been making me pay for it. <laughs> he he keeps saying, "Here's this this text chain is my OnlyFans, and now PayPal me five dollars. No free like, foot pics. I guess so." <laughs> My name is Justin McElroy, and I know the best game of the year. I mean, my name is Griffin McElroy. I'm not going to say I know the best game of the year. That's the point of the whole episode. So okay. let's, I'm, I'm not like a psychic. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant, and, you know, every game is a winner. My name is Russ Frustick, and I know the best game of the week. Welcome to the Besties, where we talk about the latest and greatest in home interactive entertainment. It is a video game club, and just by listening, you, my friend, have become a member we began our end-of-the-year battle last episode. If you haven't listened to that, you should, probably should. And uh, we are now we are down to a final eight games, and we're going to pit them against each other, and then again, and then again. <laughs> so but that's basically the flow. If you've never done a bracket before, that's how it goes. I'm sure all of our listeners have done some sort of sports bracket at some time in their life. Mm-hmm. When I think our listeners, I think sports brackets. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I do sports brackets sometimes, and I'm a pretty big geek because it just it turns all the guys into, like, like video game characters. That's it's true. Like, it's like uh, Drew Brees is the paladin, for, but he doesn't play anymore, does he? 
Unclear. Okay, <laughs> no, this he, is the he, wrong he, crowd to ask. He doesn't. I can I can assure you he's I know he's Chris a Plant knows now. this shit. Guys, Chris Plant is secretly and I know this because I uh, we share a text message chain with a lot of sportsos. Chris Plant's a secret sportso in a Love major sports. way. It's not so sports. He's not secret. It's not about secret. It. I guess so. He's got like the outfits and everything. He's rubbing that's in true. everybody's face. Well, anyway, that's been some fun flavor. <laughs> now, now we're going to take a brief break and come back and talk to you about the best games of the year. This episode of The Best of These is sponsored by Aura Frames. All right. So, you know, there are a number of people in your life that are not necessarily the most technologically savvy. I'm sure immediately names jump to your mind those are the sorts of people that you would say oh maybe they would want a digital picture room in their house but they wouldn't necessarily be able to like set it up and get it working and add new pictures and stuff like that that is where aura frames comes in it's a digital picture frame that allows you to basically upload any photos that you have directly to the frame. You don't need them to do any work. In fact, you could even set it all up before they even open the box. You have the account set up. You just have to connect it to their Wi-Fi. And once that's done, everything happens over the internet. So you can add new photos, you can do whatever you want, and it all works completely smoothly. I set it up for my grandmother, who's 95 years old. I set it up for my mom, who's 70 years old. And they both love their aura frames and they love seeing the pictures and new photos of the family all being added without them having to do anything. So I'd highly recommend it. I'm really, really happy with it. And right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BESTIES. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code BESTIES. Terms and conditions apply. Y'all, you already know how much I love our sponsor of the week, Rocket Money. They make it so easy to get your personal finances on track, especially stop worrying about all these subscriptions that you have that you don't necessarily need. Keep the ones you want, get rid of the rest. Here's how it works. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. That might sound too good to be true. I have tried it myself on multiple different monthly payments I have and it's worked, which is incredible and so much easier than getting on the phone with all these companies and trying to wrangle this yourself. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash besties. That's rocketmoney.com slash besties rockamoney.com slash besties can i ask a question before we start yeah Yeah. do any of you actually have a game and don't say it because i don't want a spoiler do you have a game in your heart that you want to win that you think is a game of the year because this is the first year that i don't i do i i uh, yeah i don't i have an inkling but i would say most of these games i would be perfectly fine walking away Having yeah. one. 
Yeah, I would say there's maybe like three or four on here that I would be like pretty happy with. Is that a good thing? Like, I don't. I, I think that's a good year, thing. I think last it's good. year I was I was totally willing to go to the mat for like Animal Crossing because I th- I adored that game and thought it was like like culturally important in the moment. Uh, and that was like you know I, I I feel like I usually do have that for for at least one game. Let's kick it off. First matchup. Metroid Dread versus Wildermyth. Okay. God, that's hard right away. Well, Oof, let me Adufa. I want to I want to uh, clarify one very small thing cuz I I've took plant to task on one element that I was incorrect in the last episode. Oh. I claimed that there were only 3 handwritten campaigns in Wildermyth. There are actually 5. Huh. So, I did diminish the amount of actual pre-written content that are in that is in Wildermyth. I apologize for that. It's a dope-ass game. Someone talk about Metroid Dread and why it should win, and someone talk about Wilder Myth and why it should win. Uh, I would love to, to do that for Metroid, because I, okay, I just think it's a badass, a really, really badass game in a way that like I, that I would not describe Metroid games in the past. I would describe them as like atmospheric with a sense of wonder and discovery with cool power-ups, whereas Metroid Dread routinely had moments that had me like jumping out of my seat like heart pounding you know uh moments that i don't i don't know that this this series i did not know that this series could could evoke Mm -hmm. um it is like a really good action game it feels great uh runs at 60 frames right like it's it is butter smooth and I, it, just from the moment I picked it up and started to like counter enemies and like had my first, uh, you know, interaction with one of the Emmy robots, um, you know, scratch, it checks all the boxes that a Metroid game needs to check mm-hmm. of uh, being clever and, you know, having a, a cool world to inhabit and explore. But on top of that, like it was some of the best action that a video game sort of provided to me for for the entire year. Yeah, uh, it's I think it's pretty I, the, maybe the most standout aspect of it, there have been a number of games that have been made in 2D, you know, 2.5D, but like that side-scrolling perspective. I don't think there's a game that feels better to move around the world in than Metroid Dread of those 2D yeah. games. I and think all it of is the, All the amazing. power-ups like go into that. Like, the, yeah. you know, you get like a phase dash uh, that you can like chain three times in the air, so that like by the end of the game, uh, he, you are just sort of like your feet don't have to touch the ground. You just like teleport through the air and speed dash and uh, you know sc- screw attack jump and like do all of these things. And and you know the puzzles that utilize that stuff, while like completely unnecessary unless you're trying to go for a one hundred percent run, which I very much tried to do. Uh, it just it it's just so slick. It is just such a slick game that is much more difficult than really any Nintendo franchise is like willing to uh, experiment with, which with some really good boss fights, um, some really like tense stealth sequences that actually work. And Uh, I, and I I also want to give it props for being very smart about how it handles its narrative. Uh, Metroid has screwed this up in the past with games like other M where it's like, Oh, you want a ton of cutscenes with a ton of dialogue and a ton of internal monologue from Samus. That's what you're looking for. No, we are not. We are looking for Samus to be a total fucking badass yeah. and crush the world under her boot and also, you know, have some feelings. That's fine. But you don't need to talk about all your feelings all the time. 
You, you should just be a fucking badass sometimes. You don't need to talk about your feelings all the time. That's what Metroid's really about. <laughs> That's really, yeah, it build, it, it creates like a an arch nemesis that is like genuinely imposing and like- Without being like totally drowning in lore and like mythos shit where you can't follow anything that's going on. Right. There's uh, a little bit, but like that's, it's just enough in my opinion. Yeah. You hear the word uh, Chozo like five times and that's it. You hear yeah. Chozo and it's uh, the rest of the t- games you hear that and you're like, the spicy meat. Here we go. Yeah, it's my favorite sausage. Okay, Wildermyth. Justin, did you play more this week? I did. Can you talk about it then? Because I, I, yeah. I want somebody I, new to talk about it. So I feel like this is an interesting game where a lot of people's experiences are going to be pretty different. And I think that that makes it a little more um, challenging to talk about. But Wildermyth, uh, f- what I sort of didn't get about it early on and what I what I kind of dig now is when you start playing Wildermyth, it feels kind of basic it feels a little bit like my first adventure Mm -hmm. like the mechanics aren't that uh challenging or complicated um and as a result like it can feel sort of unfair like characters can get killed like pretty quickly um as far as i can tell healing is not like a big thing i don't if, if there's a healing person or way of doing that i have not discovered yeah it, it, it comes across later Okay. Um, but the, so that can feel very basic, but I think what's cool about it is the, the story, uh, and these events that you come across in Wildermyth, like are, are pretty unpredictable and they can bend things in a way that like you don't expect. And that's cool because it doesn't just feel like you are creating the story yourself. It feels like things are happening that you are not prepared for. Um, in, in a way that like feels unvideo gamey, right? Because it, it, it can feel like things are unfair sometimes. Like, wait, I didn't want that to happen, but that feels closer to like the collaborative spirit of like a D and D, where with traditional game design, people are making something that is satisfying and fun to play moment to moment, and they have an arc that you want you to uh, that you want to go on. And I think Wildermyth is interesting because the game can kind of be pulling you in one direction, and you can kind of pull in a different way. And that ebb and flow, I think, makes for something that feels, um, it can feel more chaotic, but when things line up, it feels, the moments where it lands, where it's like a satisfying story thing happens that you, to a character where it like feels good or like a character that is important to you manages to survive an encounter and then some weird story thing happens, um, it feels more satisfying because it, in a way it feels more organic. It feels like, Oh, this is just unique to me, um, and and I, and I really think that that's very cool and effective. It also does a really good job of when a character does die, which can happen, especially early. Uh, when I was playing, it happened fairly frequently. They can bring in somebody new, and they sort of integrate them in the story in interesting ways. Like they feel like a like a sort of fresh infusion of of energy, and like story beats can happen to that person very quickly in a way that like endears you to them pretty quickly. Like, so it doesn't just feel like a interchangeable, you know, uh, um, cast of characters. It, you know, it, it, it tries to build the character and your connection to them, uh, really quickly. Yeah. It, um, I think it's an amazing magic trick that they've, I mean, it's not a magic trick. It's, it's incredibly good writing and, and smart game design that they've sort of made here. Um, I, I absolutely love those aspects of it. Um, I still find it hard to sort of, and I understand why, 
but the art design is like super not for me. Yeah. Um, I understand yeah. it's built to be modular, so you can really like slot in and out various things, and it allows the system to work the way it should work, which is like pretty scalable, and you can change encounters without changing a lot of the art. It, but it, that is, I think, still the hardest thing to sort of get over because it does have like a almost a flash gamey era vibe mm. to it, even though there's a lot of depth to yeah. the writing and you, the you, gameplay. You, Touched on the writing, it is exceptionally strong. Yeah, um, it, it 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 walks a really interesting balance between, like, sort of um, button down high fantasy, like uh, Tolkien esque, like you know the forces of evil are aligning against you and this stuff. And then in the character interactions, it strikes a much more humanist beat. Like it feels like real people that uh, you know you know their backgrounds, like which is another cool element of this. Like you see these people come up from a farmer and you know somebody working at a shop or a baker or whatever and you watch their evolution and like it doesn't lose that in the character interactions which yeah. is cool like it makes them feel uh like real people yeah it also doesn't go into parody for like the humor moments or the lighter moments where you know that happens sometimes where it's just like oh this is just a parody of something else but here it is humorous in the way again that lord of the rings is where they'll have that light moment of like Mary and Pippin fucking around and it's like fun. It doesn't like distract from the overarching evil Sauron story. It's just like kind of a, a way to have a breather. Yeah. I, I think it, it's not just that it doesn't do parody. It doesn't do meta, which I think is something that a lot of D and D fantasy stuff deals with right now. Sure. Um, where it's like, Oh, can you believe it? They they're in this world, but they make some pun about Spider-Man or something. I don't know. Um, thank you, uh, I, thank I think you, Plant, it, um, for that uh, very thorough dissembling of much of my life's work. <laughs> um, really, <laughs> really just sort of... Pretty cool, pretty cool. Pretty cool. You don't make puns about Spider-Man. I, I you have not guarantee listened to our show. You 100% certainty oh, we have made puns about Spider-Man. <laughs> hey, look, you know what? You started the trend. That's so, not true either, but we'll... Some people just get to be first. You're right. Some people <sighs> just get to make the mold, you know? I... <sighs> It's hard for, I did not like the tactics element of the game. I did not think that that was, and and maybe that's just not my genre um, because I've had a lot of games that I've been super into that have been kind of, I think about the Banner Saga a lot. I don't know if you all played yeah. that. That had a kind of, I would say, somewhat similar uh, tactics element to it. And for me, like I have a very specific thing I want out of that. And it looks like, you know, Final Fantasy Tactics or Fire Emblem or something like that. And I'm, I I don't get that out of this game. And I find it just kind of, uh, after my, like, after a few encounters, I, I find it all to be kind of samey. Yeah. See, I, I actually, I thought that at first, too. And the more I played, the it was interesting because my connection to the characters, and I think the way the game wants you to play, uh, started to align more. Where, like... Yeah. In a typical game like this, I would send the warrior in by themselves to go attack the thing, right? But in this one, I'm being, like, much more cautious about, like, okay, we're going to move as a group because if we're close together, we'll be harder to hurt. And then, But you still have to, like, line up, you know, your, your, your spellcaster has to have, like, line of sight to something that they can infuse with. And then that's, that, that was the one that really I loved this, like, right before we started recording, actually. Uh, there was like a monster, a huge monster in a barn that was about to wipe everybody. And my spellcaster was like, 
far outside the barn, but just managed to like infuse with a stone object in the barn. And then from that stone object cast a spell called discus, which like made us like, you know, blew off some of the stone to hurt the, um, to hurt the monster and managed to kill it before it could hurt everybody else. But it was like, it was just sort of by the skin of my teeth. Um, and I, I actually liked the tactics more because I started really worried, like, cause I got burned enough by people just like getting killed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think also the tactics and the writing, I, I don't think either of them, no, I don't know how to say this. The writing is excellent. Uh, the story is some, when it works, it works amazingly when it doesn't work. It's because it is a, you know, procedurally generated narrative. Same with the tactics. It, it, when it works, it's great. This is not, you know, Final Fantasy Tactics. It is not designed to be the, you know, like most in-depth tactics game ever. I think what makes the game special is both of those things are good enough that they can play with each other. And that is what the game is. That I feel like I just like went full inception on my own brain. So maybe that didn't make any sense whatsoever. No, I, no I, but I do think that we're at a point where we need to... Ugh. Yeah, there, there's one other thing I want to say because yeah, I, please, I, I don't please. want I don't want that the slander lingering. I I understand why some people bounce off the art. For me, I really have grown to like the art. I like how much it doesn't look like everything else in video games, and that has this kind of paper doll aesthetic. I I find it like really comforting in the way that I find like colored pencil art comforting. It has old web comic feel in a way that I I. The art doesn't bother me as much because I used to read a lot of old web comics. So oh. uh, I, th- I think this game is really special. I spent some more time with it over the past week, and I'm glad it exists because I I have always sort of thought that it is genuinely impossible to capture the feel of uh, actual tabletop pen and paper role playing games in a video game, just because like of the level of uh, how how dynamic that experience is in real life, and how it's impossible for a pre programmed piece of software to to accomplish that but i think yeah. wildermyth might just be the game that has come closest to date i think if people like this and they like how earnest and human and like loving this is for its characters the like very first thing that they should check out is this podcast called the adventure zone um oh, there's right, also right, an right, illustrated Chris. book that I, I i'm just saying i think people will like it i want oh, i want people you. to check out your your life's work let me because i think this is going to be actually pretty painful i don't know if it'll be a difficult debate because i really do feel torn about this i'll tell you where i'm at personally is like i really really like both of these games i feel like metroid dread is more consistently successful in what it is doing which like wildermyth is a lot more uncharted territory and and as like when it works it really really works but it's got enough sort of missteps that i am willing to lean towards metroid dread it kind of reminds me of disco elysium in that way where it's like oh this is all very cool i'm like very into this and i'm so excited that it's happening and i feel like it'll inspire other people but like metroid dread is just like more consistently successful for me before we move forward with that logic if that's the logic that we're going to end up using across the podcast inscription is in for a world of pain (laughs) well i i would just say like uh, if that's the logic that Justin we need is using. To like, I don't, you, we, don't need, we don't need to get there. Everyone, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just Vote saying. With your heart, you I'm, can I'm have just any saying, rationale for voting for something. 
I'm just, I'm just saying, if we're gonna have any consistency, where it's like it tried, but who, it, you know, it there's no consistency. Okay. 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 As long we're as I know that, I, 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 I want, I want some expectations set where we say the exact opposite for that game. I think Metro Dread rips ass and should be considered. Yeah, Metro. I, I vote for Metro Dread as well. I'm sorry, Wilderith, yeah. but it's one of the one of the best 2D games ever made, and yeah. I love it. Juice. Yeah. No, yeah, what? I think Metroid Dread. Look, Metroid Dread had the most levels, so therefore... It had more levels and, can I say, more guns. More like guns. a lot more, <laughs> more guns. Um, okay, I, can I do Halo Infinite? Yeah. Yes. Halo Infinite is... I was not expecting much from a new Halo game. Uh, and Halo Infinite, I have detailed on this podcast, you can go listen to it, uh, the extent to which I love the... Uh, the multiplayer of this in a way that like, I never really expected to, um, but I have been so deeply entranced by it. Uh, dozens of hours. I mean, I, I absolutely love it. The campaign I have now put a lot of time into and I, it's just so smart about finding like what is fun about halo and what is good about halo. And then like letting you discover those moments like in the world in a way that like when you are uh, you have a grappling hook right and you're just like you can just like grapple up a cliff which feels very unhalo but it's like it, it's it's fun with the mechanics that they have built and it, when you come across a group of enemies even if there's not like something around that you want they're just so fun to like engage with and uh, that I just like will stop and fight whoever because it's like that pleasurable um i i love the way that they have made an open world where the rewards feel consequential i love that you can get multiplayer skins in the single player game that's so smart like it, it's a really nice unlockable and things to chase down if you if you feel like it i think that it, the having an open world this is also like something that I, I i think is very strong about halo halo has for the past several iterations had like equipment as a factor right so you you like in this one there's a, a drop shield that you can drop wherever. There's the grappling hook. There's um, uh, a sort of like quick dash that you can use um, and, and a couple of others. Uh, I think what is really cool is because the open world puts you into different scenarios that are not just like traditional video game levels, it really encourages you to use that equipment because you are confronted with like a very different scenario from time to from from each encounter. Like there are times when, wow, I really am going to use this drop shield that I would not typically use in a single player campaign. I'm going to use this drop shield because where I'm positioned and where I've encountered this fight, it would make it a lot easier for me. And like I think that having the dynamic encounters like that encourages you to mix up your tactics. Same with the guns. Like in single player, I would uh, traditionally in, in Halo games, I would find a, a, you know, a few combos that I liked and stick with them. Um, but here, the different encounters that you run into and the way that you encounter different weapons, um, it really encourages you to like mix it up, like find the right gun for the situation that, that you are in. And I think that that makes all of it like a lot more satisfying. And I, I am so impressed with the the way that they have taken what is cool about Halo and brought it into the modern the modern world, um, I think is so, so cool and smart. And I, I really adore it. Okay. So you talked a lot about the campaign, which, which I want to talk about as well. It takes like half hour to get to the open world area of the campaign. And I think we talked a little bit about it 
when we initially talked about uh, Halo Infinite, that that intro part, uh, you know, is weirdly linear and there's not a lot going on. But once you get to the open world, it is like mind-blowingly fun to move around that world and use all the Halo tools and totally crush it. There's something very weird going on in the Halo campaign, specifically regarding anything that isn't in that open world, Um, both from a like level design standpoint, just like you go through a lot of blue tubes in that game, like a weirdly large amount, um, just like very linear tube type levels um, <laughs> that it just like feels tacked on to the point where I was like looking forward to going back to the open world and not doing story related stuff because it just didn't really fit. It's fun to do shooting, but not when I like have very limited mobility in those areas. Secondarily, I think narratively, it's a pretty big failure. Uh, It does not tell a cogent story for, you know, Master Chief or Cortana or really any of the characters in this game. Look, I understand the limitations of Halo as a storytelling medium. In my opinion, there hasn't really been very many super compelling Halo stories told, although I'm not a diehard fan. I don't read the books, so I apologize Um, but this game takes a lot of swings from a narrative structure standpoint, uh, using flashbacks and stuff like that to try to, uh, imply that there's something deeper going on here. But in fact, it all sort of just does not coalesce into a meaningful or impactful story. And honestly, by the end of it, I finished the campaign by the end of it, it made almost zero sense. And I felt like I kind of cut the legs out from, Cortana, who is a major character in the series that they more or less like not only sidelined, but like totally diminished any growth or change that she might have gone through in the last game, which I know that people really didn't like. But those are the areas. Now, if you're just looking at gameplay, I think it's a lot, a lot of like I had a fucking blast playing it. But it's just some weirdness with the campaign that does sort of hinder it. It it gives me a tremendous amount of hope for the future of Halo because I agree with you. Like, I think the grappling hook is now the equivalent of like Samus's ball power. Like, it's iconically attached to Master Chief and Halo now because it feels so fucking good. But there are definitely some hindrances. I'm not saying that it, you know, it's going up against Monster Hunter Rise here. Yeah, which has is an it worse than Monster plot. Hunter Rise? No, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. The story of the narrative of Monster Hunter Rise is really. I cried. Well, I cried a hundred. I agree times. with wait, you before there. You get the to novelization that. of this is one that yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, for. Yeah, for for Halo Infinite though, I, all of your problems fresh in the single player. All of the problems with Halo Infinite is that it's a Halo game, and in no, the multiplayer, everything good about it is that it's a Halo game. And and yeah, the reason I say that with single play, single player, all those tube levels you're talking about, go back and play any old Halo. Like that is that is what a third half of the levels in those no, games. I, that is, is like true. Generic. You're tunes. right, but I think it is starkly different from the rest of the game to the point where they. It was. It was like. It was like if you took the Breath of the Wild mechanics in the open world, like Breath of the Wild just played like that in the open world, and then when you went into a dungeon, it played like Zelda One. That's exactly. That's my point. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Is Halo Infinite when it's be- at its best, it is a, just a new game. Right. I mean, it's like but a full true. reboot, right? And when it when it doesn't click is when it feels like it has to go back to being old school Halo with, you know, these like boring hallways where it's more emphasis on shooting versus all the weird powers that you have. And when it gets into the story, I mean, I've been dr- I've 
talking about Fresh's text messages, he's had to listen to me talk about, you know, like probably two hours worth of YouTube videos that I've watched about Halo lore explainers to try to understand what the hell is happening. And let me tell you, it didn't make the game better. Um, it definitely feels <laughs> I like I burned two thing. hours. It's like, so it's... it's Even it's people real. who know the lore back to front do not understand what is going on in this game, which is like, I don't even know who the story is for at that point. And I'm not Kevin. willing to I'm not willing to see that, oh, it's a Halo game, so the plot's going to be bad because uh, Halo Reach was fantastic. Yeah, and I think it, the first yeah, Halo uh, game yeah. has a good also, story. Three, I'm not saying that as really an excuse, good. to be clear. That's not an excuse. I'm just saying it's a fact. <laughs> like, it, that, that, that's, a, that's just a problem with Halo. But fo- talking about the multiplayer, which I do think is separate, I yep. think why it works is because it does feel like it gets back to everything that I felt when I played Halo 2 on land in a college dorm, right? Yeah. Like, it rules. I, I would also, I if I could say one thing, like, the while the the, the moment-to-moment narrative is pretty compl- uh, perplexing, the, the base con- conceit is that the war is over, we lost... Master Chief is the last like ember of resistance to this like <laughs> this threat and he is like building back up the forces of like the UNSC like by by himself and like rebuilding sort of the army to fight the bad guys like that's classic and that is a a, a construct that I feel like is really smart for an open world Halo. Game. I think it worked. Like, it would work if we had any inkling of like really what happened in that downfall to have any attachment to these people. No, they be, the bad guys killed all the the bad guys. We don't even know. No, who no, these, no, 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 like, no. Fr- Fresh, know who it's the opposite. Are. Do you know what my dream would be? Is that the war was lost. Flash forward a thousand years. Nobody remembers anything random person discovers Master Chief and then we've reset everything and Master Chief is going to help us save Amen. the world, Which totally would actually fit into the Halo universe because it turns out they've already done this. There was an entire like timeline before the modern timeline that was its own weird alien I human. I don't want to turn this into its own YouTube. So, <laughs> part if one. If I could just, before we move on to Monster Hunter Rise, I do want to point out one nitpick I have with Halo Infinite. It is wild when I am in a car and I'm driving with my my soldier buddies, and I may accidentally ding one of their friends <laughs> with my car, right? Sure. Because it's hard to drive the cars, and you'll ding people from Sometimes time to time. Sometimes they jump out in front of you. Just a, yeah, you just give them a little nudge. <laughs> and this happened to me, and somebody in my car said, hey, watch out, dummy. And I, I stopped the car. <laughs> I stopped the car and got out. And I said, excuse me, I'm the master chief. Yeah. You need to calm down a little bit, Okay. You're welcome, by the way, because I definitely freed you because I have to because I freed everybody. You are welcome, by the way. You need to watch your tone with me, please. I'm going to ding some of your buddies. That's 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 saving the galaxy. Anyway, Monster Hunter Rise. Uh, mm. I I adore the Monster Hunter franchise. I didn't. Re- it didn't really super duper click with me until Monster Hunter World, which was the previous installment. Uh, that came out on consoles that kind of destroyed the mold that Monster Hunter games had followed in the past, which is there's a hub, you go out to a level, and you go through different loading zones to look for the monster, and then you get them and get their foot or whatever, and you turn that foot into a sword or crossbow, Um, which is great. But we love that shit around here. Uh, Monster Hunter World smashed that apart and made it a much more sort of cohesive open world 
experience uh, that improved the formula, I would argue, in every imaginable way. Um, the only problem being I had to sit in my computer chair to play it. Ugh, yeah. I hate that because that's where I do my work. Mm. Monster Hunter Rise came out on the Switch. I think it's actually just now coming out on PC, which is fantastic. Monster Hunter Rise takes so many lessons that that world brought with it uh, that that improved the formula, kind of mixes it in with some of the classic like Monster Hunter DNA stuff that wasn't you know uh, that wasn't terrible, and combines it into maybe my favorite installment in the franchise, but more importantly, like. It turned it into a super, super, super compelling uh, mobile game at a point that I feel like was a very, very necessary time in the world for that. And then now someone else is going to take over because I have... Oh, 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 okay. I I just wanted to say a thing about mobile games. I got that uh, Analog Pocket finally came, right? I'm playing some classic Game Boy games. Uh, A little bit of that Metal Gear Solid, a little Mario Tennis. Mo games, they've come a long way since Pac-Man. I don't know if you've really yes. taken a moment to think about this uh, lately, listener, but being able to play Metroid Dread and Monster Hunter Rise on a Switch, it's its kind of mind-boggling that something this complex uh, is just something that I can carry around with me. And I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I kind of drift in and out of appreciating how incredible it is that that just works um yeah it's not like I, a huge praise for monster hunter rise here's the thing about monster hunter rise i continue to just be heartbroken that i cannot get myself to fall in love with these games because i yeah, I, I think i would like them i just i don't know what it is i like yeah can't. well i know what it is what? i mean the it it is probably the hardest popular franchise to get into and the fact that i needed to prime the pump by playing a few hours of Monster Hunter World to sort of understand the basics before I was able to watch a a bunch of YouTube videos to learn the combos such that I could be good at Monster Hunter Rise. And at that point, it totally fully grabbed me and I was in love. But it still has not, even though people wanted World to be that thing, it still has not reached a point where it is accessible, at least at the outset. It's definitely not. Um... I, I understand that people want depth. I want depth from the combat and the gameplay, but <laughs> the, the tutorial to this game, game is just is not so rough. <laughs> it's yeah. so, such a grind. It's really tough to get into. So I, 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 you know, I think that's still probably the biggest complaint that I have as much as, you know, I sunk a hundred hours into that fucking game this year. So I absolutely adore it. But I think there definitely is a version of Monster Hunter that exists or could exist that reworks a lot of the structural stuff while maintaining the gameplay stuff and still having it feel like monster hunter while allowing people that like don't dig into menus and like meta and uh, like uh, shortcuts for their equipment loadouts and various other nitty gritty like that. Uh, I think there's a way to streamline this and it just hasn't happened yet. I love monster Hunter rise um, even though I was pretty harsh on Halo Infinite's storyline, Plant is right. The Monster Hunter Rise storyline barely exists. So it's hard not to uh, consider them more or less equal on that front. Um, and I think Halo Infinite is the probably the more special game. I, I think there is a version of Monster Hunter Rise in a year or two that maybe 
elevates it to game of the year status, but it is not quite Halo Infinite's level at this moment. So? I mean, Halo Infinite for me. Yeah, for sure. Me too. Okay. Okay. Griffin is, Griff? doesn't, we don't care about Griffin. He doesn't get a vote. He doesn't get a vote. It doesn't matter. He's he was getting a pizza. Okay. I mean, inscription, Forza yeah. Horizon 5. I'll take Forza if somebody can take inscription. You do Forza first. Point. Okay. I'm going to talk a lot about inscription, Russ. So it's probably good. Yeah, for you I'll, to I'll start and you could fill in. Okay. okay. So I don't think we're going to spend a ton of time on Forza because it's a hard game to talk about in this capacity. But the one thing I want to say is this team has been honing this game for a decade. And I think it's easy to underappreciate that. And when I say honing it, I mean, this is a totally different game than where they started. Horza, Horza? Forza Horizon 1 like isn't really an open world game. Horizon 2 had these like weird barriers throughout the world that were like walled train tracks that really prevented you from feeling like you were in open space. Horizon 3 is this rough draft of a really Horizon 5. They have a lot in common. But then instead of doing the like uh, Austin Powers to Austin Powers 2, let's just do the same thing all over again. Uh, Forza Horizon 4 is this weird experiment. Like it, it has, they had seasons to the game and weather that has a huge impact on how and where you drive. They added all these silly cars. They got rid of the not like the tropical setting and went to the UK, which I think was a choice. Um, I don't like Forza Horizon 4 nearly as much as the other games, but a lot of those ideas have appeared in Horizon 5 so that 5 feels like the perfect mishmash of 3 and 4. And I feel like in the world of video games, if this were a action game or a shooter, like if this was Assassin's Creed or Call of Duty, everybody would be talking about this because it'd be like, wow, this team, they've worked so hard for the past decade and they finally did the thing. You know, all of these big ideas culminated into the, you know, Assassin's Creed uh for or uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, that that sort of point in a franchise. And I think that is important. That said, do I think that is going to help it win the game of the year this year? No, but I do think it's some interesting history, so I've made my defense. Hey. I think, for what it's worth, it, you know, even though it might not make it to the top of like game of the year list this year, or at least the very top, uh, it is, I think, when it came out, Halo has probably beaten it since, but when it came out, was like the most played Xbox game ever, like mm-hmm. some outrageous stat because of Game Pass and ver- a variety of other things. So even though it's not necessarily from a critical standpoint the most exciting game to talk about, it has an enormous uh, audience and fan base and and count me among that. I said this last week, um, haven't gotten into a racing game in years and years and years, and this one totally grabbed me and was a blast. Um, it's really just terrific um, and and uh, a, a super fun game to play. Did y'all put Monster Hunter Rise upon the altar while I was yes. gone talking to Yes, it was sacrificed while you were Oh, That's, a, that's a shame. I had a really good I time. I mean, you were game. outvoted regardless, but yeah. if you wanted to say something about and Rise And this has now, always been could. a show about numerical voting, <laughs> yeah, uh, if nothing else. Okay. <laughs> Russ is about to give his impassioned uh, description of inscription. Okay, inscription. Uh, I think we probably described it a little bit last week, but a uh, narrative card game with horror elements and uh, weird secrets and puzzles and uh, a game that 
is very much a puzzle box insofar as it starts as one thing in this case, like a Hearthstone style card game, card battling game, uh, and then sort of evolves into something that is a lot weirder and um, more interesting than that. Like an escape room. Yeah, it has escape room elements to it. It it just has sort of like a a secret to it. And again, I like hesitate to even know how much to say about Inscription because I do think that the shifts that it has are its best um, aspects um, because it does make a constantly for a more interesting narrative experience. But I also have strong feelings about the latter half of the game as well. So um, it is uh, extremely, extremely unique probably the most unique game on this list and one of the most uh, interesting games I've played in the last few years, not without its faults, but also I think a game that most people should play at the very least. I, I'm, um, this is more color than an argument, but um, I went, I was such a fan of this. I went back and played Pony Island, which I had, yeah. had not played. This is a, uh, Pony Island is the first Daniel Mullins game and um, I have not played the hex yet, but Pony Island is is interesting in the sense like it, it's a similar. It seems to be that meta game elements with like shifting mechanics is what really interests him yeah. as near as I can tell. Uh, and Pony Island is a game where you are playing as you're playing a sort of like extremely basic um, platformer where you're a pony and you're like collecting. I don't know. You're shooting butterflies with it doesn't matter. Like it that that is how inconsequential the the main mechanical game of Pony Island is. And when the other narrative elements start to get layered on which include like basically the devil trying to trap people's souls in a computer, it is like it feels sort of flippant or like almost uh I guess punk is maybe like the word I'm looking for. It's like it it razzes the main mechanic like how stupid I can't believe you ever cared about that. That's not what the game is. That's the joke, right? What I think is cool about Inscription is that even in when the mechanics shift and in the main mechanics and the meta mechanics, it all works together. Like it is all a cohesive thought, and like the the way that you are playing with cards, where characters are basically sort of what you come to realize are like sort of trapped in these cards is important to the meta narrative as much as it is important to the sort of like base mechanical thing. And as it shifts, that continues to work in concert with what came before and after it's never sort of like, yeah, anyway, it's all just a goofy game. But what I'm really interested in is this, it is all of, 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 of a piece. Um, and, and I think that like to, to make the point, they just did a DLC thing where you can play the first segment of the game, which is this sort of like card battler, you know, not unlike uh, Slay the Spire or what have you. Um, and you can play that infinitely, like uh, which you wouldn't do like if it was sort of uh, a joke the way that Pony Island is. Um, but I, I again, like I said, not an argument for or against, but just like, I, I think yeah. interesting color. I, I think we can just have a vote on this because I, I think inscription is going to have more for us all to talk about in a later round. I, I, I got much further in this game over the past week, I think into act act three, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Which I don't know how much more is coming after that. You're near. The um, end, yeah. But I did not enjoy the core card game element of of the game after Act One, 
And I'm glad that I, I played through, especially past Act 2, because Act 3 gets pretty fucking buck wild. Um, and I think that novelty of, of like what this game does and the sort of boldness of it absolutely earns it a spot on this list. But like I I I did I dreaded every sort of like forced battle that you you have to do uh you know from, from yeah. act act two on. It Griffin, really for loses. you though do, does does Forza win in this round? Oh no. Okay, so then yeah, let, let's let's <laughs> okay, that's fine. Let's move forward and then and then but yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you, Griffin, and I think we'll talk about that in the back half. Okay. Okay. Uh next round, uh Last one of of this like what series quarter uh, unsighted versus Resident Evil Eight. Um, I I feel like I've been the unsighted person. Is there? In, I, I'll talk about Resident Evil if somebody else can take unsighted. Um, I can take unsighted. Okay, do you want to do that really quick? Because it sounds like with the general. Yeah, I, I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to describe what unsighted is. We talked about it last week. I think it's it is a an exciting evolution of a format that, you know, over the years can get a little uh, samey. I think we talked about in the, in the context of a link between worlds, this sort of, uh, you know, which sort of reworked the Zelda format on the 3ds. This does it in a completely different way. um, But I think does in a really special way that um, will definitely stick with me. I have not finished it yet, but I'm extremely far into it. And it, and it's and it's terrific. It's it's just an, a really incredible feat by a very small team that is worth playing. I don't I still don't love block pushing puzzles of which there are a number, but uh, it's definitely a secondary point to the narrative strength of the game. The combat is really, really strong. Um, I really like the art style. Uh, I think this game just does a ton right. Um, and it, it definitely should be played by a lot of people. Uh, yeah, I, I I love Unsighted. Uh, any other game they'd be going against would probably be making it further for me. Unfortunately, it's going up against the Resident Evil game in which you fight Dracula, Pinocchio, The Little Mermaid, and Frankenstein. I I don't know how anything honestly beats that. That that to me is everything that I've wanted the Resident Evil series oh, yeah. to do. Yeah, you can't it's, just hey, you can't just lump Pinocchio in with the other things. What do you mean? They're Pinocchio all monsters. It's not inherently a monster sort of person. Uh, yeah, Pinocchio is definitely a monster. Have you seen Chucky? It's basically that. Yeah, Pinocchio is a monster. True. Okay. That, why do you fine. think he, he gets sent to the bad boy island? And turned into a donkey. Yeah, I guess you're right. There's, in, there's empirical proof that he is a yeah. bad boy. Yeah. So well, actually, and I should I should be clear. Frankenstein's a monster, not Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, really but the sorry. monster's also named Frankenstein, so it's fine. Yeah, that's true. He names him Frankenstein's monster Frankenstein. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> I I think Resident Evil Eight's going to win this, and I think we're going to talk about it more later. Does that sound right? Uh, that sounds that sounds right to me. It is the best Resident Evil game, apparently. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I would agree. I would probably vote it over Unsighted. Yes. Um, that said, Unsighted is great, and I know a lot of people have not played it. It is on Game Pass. People should really give it a try because it runs great on good. Switch too. Oh yeah, it does. It's, it's it will, a real good fit there. A little bit later in the game, it, it gets a little spotty now and then when things get busy, but it, it's still quite good. Uh, that's it for the semifinals. 
right? We got yeah. or quarterfinals. We got Metroid Dread, Halo Infinite, Inscription, and Resident Evil Village. Are we going to make them all uh, pair off again, or are we just going to do one big? We no, we're going to do versus one big melee. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. So yeah, next next up, we will have Metroid Dread versus Halo Infinite and Inscription versus Resident Evil Eight. Right after this break. You go get a phone. You just want a phone to talk to your friends and family. You're not asking so much. Then you get these contracts and you get ripped off because you got all this fine print little details. And all of a sudden they're sucking money out of your pocket like some sort of digital leech. You know, the contract may sound good uh, up front, but there's always some sort of catch. You know who's not going to do that to you? Not going to pull that nonsense. Mint Mobile. Their wireless plans. There is no catch. $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings directly on to you. You want to pay hundreds of dollars for, like, literal hundreds of dollars for your wireless plan? Or you want to have a nice, easy solution, save some, put the bucks back in your pocket, pay 15 bucks a month. Say bye to your overpriced wireless plan's jaw-dropping monthly bills the unexpected overages sound familiar to get this new customer offer and get your new three month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. Go to mintmobile.com slash besties. That's mintmobile.com slash besties. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash besties. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I feel like this is where it's going to get competitive. This Do is where you? it's going to get nasty. A little I bit, feel like yeah. this is going to be super easy. I feel like these two rounds, like I, I, I could tell you right now, Metroid Dread and Resident Evil Eight should should face off. Yeah, see, I don't. That's interesting. Ooh, okay, this is why we do it yeah. the way we do it. <laughs> this, is, this is why we do it. I don't know. It's going to be that cut and dry, pal. I, I'm just. I'm. We'll see. Um, let's start with Metroid Dread versus Halo Infinite. Is there anything more? Is there anything more that needs to be said about? either of these games in a vacuum well i think it yeah i could say that there's no reality in which metroid dread is better than halo infinite okay so that's halo just infinite opinion is a mat well yeah but but this is all opinion so i'm stating it as fact <laughs> halo infinite like and and you know you always struggle with this right because you're really kind of talking about two games but it is two games in 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 one package and i think that like the the campaign, if it was just the campaign, I would probably lean towards Metroid Dread, but I have had – I think the Halo Infinite multiplayer is such a victory and, like, such a massive leap forward and, like, a revitalization of a franchise that has languished for, I mean, over a decade, I would argue, like, creatively, if not if not commercially. Um, I, and I think it is such a smart reinvention of it uh, and – something that people will be playing for a very, very long time uh, for reasons that I have detailed extensively. Um, but I, I love it, and I think that it is um, such such a, a triumph. I agree I, with, with Justin. Uh, I, I'm shocked that anybody else would be on the Halo side. But I, I do want to note that um, Halo Infinite dares to ask the question, when Scorpion says, get over here, what if he said, get over there? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. The, the grappling hook, we have talked about in an open world, like getting around sense, but you cannot discount. It is the biggest like mechanical evolution, like 
I can't think of a good comparison. You know, you you talked about the ball and like it is almost kind of like that in the sense that this is such a uh, the game is so much about positioning and like where you are at in relation to the enemies and having the ability to like yeah instantly reposition yourself in a way that's more advantageous there it makes every death feel fair because yeah. it's like well you're right i should have fucking moved I, like i don't know why i didn't i could have grapple hooked away from that but i just kind of like gritted my teeth and tried to yeah. go through with it i can't think of another franchise that has a an addition like this that so fundamentally changes the entire franchise uh i think breath I, of the wild yeah, oh I think of a lot okay okay yeah, 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 me yeah. fair dumb <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but okay I mean really what this boils down to is this Halo Infinite obviously has a lot of great things it has some not great things uh-huh. Do uh, whereas I think Metro Dread is basically baller from start to finish and now mm. I'm not saying that is a reason to make the choice but it is there is a consideration to be made about like do you include everything and some of it might work and some of it might not work versus do you just focus on the stuff that you know you can crush out of the park? I'm staunchly in Metroid Dread's corner in this this uh, battle, but I also think like there are things that people did not like about Metroid Dread, um, and the biggest one I can think of is like it was it was pretty easy to get lost in that in that big map, um, which for a lot of people playing a, a Metroidvania game like that's that's uh, a tough wall to scale, and can sometimes sort of bring the whole thing to a stop. I got lost a couple times, but for me, it was never so, so bad that I felt like, well, screw this game. I, I quit forever. But do you also feel, you know, I think without that element, that potential to get lost, don't you feel like it um, kind of feels like you're being dragged by the nose? You know, we talked yeah, about this sure. in Deathloop, like dragged by the nose to like point to point. Yeah, I think Metroid Dread hits a point where the th- the the thing opens up. A lot more than like really any Metroidvania that I have played before, right? Hollow Knight like is probably comparable, I would say. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Uh, because it, it, a typical Metroidvania game, like you go, you beat the boss, you get the the check, you get the double jump, you get the grappling, you get whatever you need to get to get through the few locked doors to get to the next section, to get to the next bo- boss, to get to the next power up. Uh, Metroid Dread, you know, does that, but I think it disguises it better than than most games in that genre to where like i felt like my path through the game was different from from other people's like mm-hmm. i you know you could you can potentially find your way into like a a teleportal that you you know maybe somebody else playing the game did not find and it let you access like a whole world of things that otherwise you would not be be able to find uh which was which was really really exciting to me yeah I think the peaks of Metroid Dread are higher for me than the peaks of Halo Infinite. I, I, I feel that way too. I also think like this is a tough thing because I didn't care for the campaign of, of Halo Infinite, uh, but I thought the multiplayer was was really fun, although I never really felt like I got pretty good at it. Uh, so it's like also a question of what's better, like a, a really, really solid single player campaign versus like a really, really fun multiplayer sandbox. Uh, and that's like you know, apples and oranges um, with a really solid single player campaign too. I mean, it definitely has its missteps, but like it, we can't just be like, well, and the campaign is whatever, but the multiple, because the campaign of, of Halo is really cool. I mean, there's yeah. like all the, we, we just spent a lot of time talking about like how the open world has all this interesting stuff and how it makes all the weapons more relevant and the tactics and uh, all that stuff. Like I, 
I, I, you can't discount that. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a campaign to me, though. I don't know if this is even a knock, but it feels more like I have fun playing in the Halo sandbox, but the thing moving me through that, like the, the story or whatever it is, moving me through that sandbox, I do not find personally compelling. You're saying that you need some, like, bird people. Yeah, the great, the great, great narrative of of <laughs> M- Metroid Dread that we all know and like adore so much. I think it's a good story. I mean, I think but, I there's think also it's a like, good narrative. Like, story, but it's good. Metroid Dread is also like there. There's like it. I said it was accessible in a previous episode to people who like hadn't played the franchise from a narrative perspective, but like it could do a lot better at like onboarding people. I mean, I think if you look at you know we had. I don't want to turn this into a debate about accessibility but like we definitely talked about metroid dread sort of like you have to meet it on its terms and it is not doing a lot to sort of like make sure everybody has fun playing playing metroid dread and i think that you would be very well within your rights to get frustrated by some of like the the ways it expects you to like attack hidden walls to move forward on the the critical path or you know the the way that you can get kind of lost and and have to move around the world before you're kind of figuring out the next thing you need to do. Um, It's not like it's this seamless, you know, thing that just like carries you from the beginning to end. Like there's some real roadblocks that I think could turn some people off. Huge thanks to our special guest contributor, David Jaffe on today's episode. Uh, Just wanted to say, (laughs) I think you do great work. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Thank you Griffin for picking up my hilarious David Jaffe. Um, Um, But yeah, that's obviously like, I'm, I'm not, on <laughs> I have not been on team Jaffe for quite some time sure. but like I, I I think it's an illustration of of the point like that that I think that it's fair to think you could get turned off by some of the difficulties I think sure. Halo feels like a step one where a year from now or whatever it is Halo Infinite is going to be like the game that is just like totally dominant on every front but it does continue to feel for me like it is very much a work in progress, which honestly they haven't denied. The multiplayer is that is an, in no way accurate. Like the, the I mean, the multiplayer is in beta. Is like they've been pretty open about that, and it definitely has some issues. But it's like incredible now. Like it's incredible now. It's fantastic. The progression is is kind of a mess, but like they will fix that stuff. But the the core mechanics are are. Unbeatable. I think I think we should have a vote. I I don't have a whole lot of religion here. I I I do lean towards Halo Infinite, but uh, I mean it's it's I'm for Metroid Dread. I think Russ is also. Justin's yeah, I I I am too. Even though I I like both of these, um, you know, it I, it feels to me like Halo is well on its way to being the game, but I don't think it's quite there yet. I did not feel particularly compelled to keep playing the campaign of Halo Infinite. Um, uh, like, I got into the open world stuff and and was doing some of that and just didn't feel like this is a thing I want to put more time I'm re- I'm very frustrated by the fact that we all finished Metroid Dread, and it feels like that 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 I am now having, like, this debate with people that have not... I'll tell you where I'm uncomfortable is that, like, I really liked Metroid Dread, and I'm I can't sit here and make argue like I've made the best argument I can against it, but I don't have a lot of arguments against it. I think it's great. Like, I just feel like Halo Infinite is going to like, is a sort of, we have not had a great like multiplayer game in this style for, for, for a while. And I, I I feel like it is so smart and so powerful in the way that it like reinvigorates this franchise. 
uh, and makes it relevant again um, that I, I think is really worth celebrating. And it's so fun. I mean, I handed the controller to Griffin when we were in Seattle and he instantly was like, got it. Like the multiplayer was just like fun already mid match, hand the controller to somebody. It's just great. Do you, you feel comfortable voting on Griffin's behalf? Since- What's that? I was just wondering if Justin felt comfortable voting on your behalf since he handed you the control. I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would. <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw a little bit of a wrench in the works, and I don't know if this is a negative oh, no. or a positive. Oh, no. I, my understanding is that Halo Infinite multiplayer specifically builds very much on the positive response to the multiplayer in Halo 5. Even though the campaign was universally hated, people really, really liked the campaign in Halo 5. And the this takes a lot from that um again not a bad thing but I, to wait say wait no, like no, comp- no 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 yeah, 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 yeah. metroid dread doesn't point. build off of anything okay <laughs> no <laughs> russ <laughs> makes a great point that the problem with I halo Infinite is a problem is that they took it's the good new. lessons from the last halo game and retained them start start again cowards make him a wizard <laughs> the history of video games has no precedent for such a thing why um, you said decide that, you to said do a I, podcast I, I, with I, an even number of people is the question right. i know right it's our curse <laughs> we need to get the chris granite oh my gosh <laughs> Met- metroid dread wins because i don't want the log jam and i i i I'm okay with both of these games. I think. Let me just text Chris and see no. see where he's. No, at. there there <laughs> there are two people here who I think are very passionate about a choice, and then there's one who's very passionate about the other. So you know what? I will let I will I will let it go just because I feel like I I am happy with Metroid Dread, and I hope like I, I was shocked by how much I enjoyed Metroid Dread and how smart it is. Like it, I I really adore it. So I I am okay with that. Uh, and I will uh, so we can move forward. Okay. Inspiring. <laughs> well, what an inspiring sacrifice, Justin. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I did. But I, I also want to keep a little in the tank. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even get that. I didn't get that hero moment when y'all killed Monster Hunter Rise when I was talking about my toilet to a con. <laughs> <laughs> uh, inscription versus Resident Evil Village. This is the. This is gonna be another spicy one. I feel like. Uh, okay, so we did. We kind of skipped over the inscription part of it okay. um, last uh, round. So I'll be more pointed. So we also, um, we're not going to talk about specific story beats, but we'll, we will be talking about the really quality hard. of yes. the overall game. And we can talk about acts. If you've played the game and we say act three or act two, you're going to know what we're talking about. Um, there's a reason why they just released DLC where you can replay act one over and over and over again is because... As a game, it is by far the most fun part of Inscription, in my opinion. Yes. Um, I don't know if y'all feel differently, but I do think as a game, the game gets less fun in Act 2, gets a little more fun in Act 3, um, but the narrative sort of carries it, which I which I was really like very interested to see where the narrative was going, and that, I think, helped buoy... Yes. Uh, moments of the game that I thought were like a little bit, even although they were creative, like Act Two, not the most fun game to play. Right. Let me. Let me. I feel like I can talk about this without spoilers. In Act One, you are playing a very clever and unique, uh, you know, TCG uh, against a genuinely unsettling opponent who, like, I wanted to know everything about. 
and then also who I wanted to beat the living shit out of. And so yeah. once you and who also didn't seem interested in playing like who who was obviously in control of everything. Yes. To to a point where it made like any victory you could eke out like an totally anomaly. Futile. It felt like you pulled one and over. And you are it, it takes place in a minuscule environment that is filled with like mysteries and puzzles that you want to figure out if only so you can get a slight leg up on this this monster right and the card game is great i thought the card game was was very very smart you basically uh you know have to sacrifice your cards in order to play other cards and build walls to you know block attacks from your opponent and and the game can end like in a second because you you have one bad turn the enemy hits you with five points of damage you're dead so, so the matches are very, very fast. You can also get a one-turn KO, and it feels very, very good when you can yeah. manage to swing that. Um, but, but that is the main like mechanic of the card game. There's special little rules for certain cards, which is very Hearthstoney. But it, like you can grok it all really fast. And then in Act Two, I'm not going to get into like the narrative of what happens, but it then layers basically three more sort of card games. On, on top of that, like three different card games worth of rules on top of that. And that and and while those rules are similarly not that hard to to master, it 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 makes all of the work that I did in Act One of like figuring out like how to be good at this game feel like totally not totally, but almost entirely pointless. Yeah, also it feels like you're they want you to try those other card decks, but I just got one at the beginning and then yes. just swept through that's the all entire That's section. all I cared about. To put, a, to put a pin in it, then Act 3 comes and does the exact same thing. And like, it, 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 uh, it's... Act 3 is more successful than Act 3 Act is more successful mechanically, but again, it's like, wipe it all out. You're, you're playing a new card game now. And like, on paper, that's pretty cool. Um, because you know, it's, it's this, it, like the narrative of the game and the world of the game, it's always changing. And so like, it makes sense that that should happen. But when you're playing it and you are getting that, that feeling from the, the, you know, trading card game loop of I'm, I am figuring this motherfucker out. And then to have that taken from you, not once, but twice, like it's, it, it is so defeating. Uh, and I think that maybe just speaks to the strength of inscriptions like narrative and like cleverness that that is enough to make me keep playing it even when the mechanics of the game are i feel like fighting against me unfortunately then the ending happens and then the narrative is i like the ending (laughs) oh my my gosh oh my Mm. village uh yeah go for it plant me Sure. I, well, I, I kind of did it last time. I mean, it's yeah, the best, I, I ever, it's the best, the best Resident Evil game. I mean, you're, the, the, the main character is a stick of butter, like taking a bath in a glass of milk, and I love him. And I <laughs> want to. Well, the, characters, the characters in this game, like in a game where it, <laughs> much of its legacy is defined by, I'm sorry, but like how laughably bad <laughs> the the like writing and performances and just characters in and general are i'm sorry resident evil devotees but like there's a lot of there's a lot of cruft in yeah. there um i think that this game comes with like a big cast of really cool yes. like interesting fun well-performed well-written characters which like really helps to repel um to say nothing of like the hub structure, which feels great. Like it feels so cool for a survival horror game to have that like relative safe space that is then like 
also degraded and dangerous in in different ways. Like I I I think that it really is like uh uh recently the um uh the actress who played Lady D the the um the giant woman uh won for best performance at the at the game awards and it's like that's that's where Resident Evil Village is at like compared to performances and writing that were so bad they right. became memetic. I would love to see you I know, would the, love to see Nemesis get up there to to receive his game award like thanks everybody <laughs> uh I really uh shouted stars a lot and people loved that and I did a good job yelling. Hell thanks yeah. couldn't have done that. That's pretty good, Griffin. Stars. Uh, it is Maggie Robertson by the way. I did I, I wanted to credit Maggie for yes. her fantastic yeah. work. So. It is not Maggie Yeah, Robertson. it's it's definitely worth paying attention to the fact that like although towards the end they start like getting into like a little bit more lorry stuff, just like a, a little sprinkling it. of it. 95% but, of the game is, you know, pretty cogent. I mean, it's silly, but it's a pretty right. cogent storyline. Like, I, I get what's going on. This, yeah, the only lore, though, that I feel like is necessary to understand for eight is seven, which, great news, seven is the I, other fantastic Gr- Resident Griffin, game. guess what? I what? didn't play seven, and I followed 99% of that game. Oh, okay. That's, that's uh, great. Yeah, I think it adds. I, so I think it's it adds okay. To like it. It, I think they designed it to be approachable. Also, this is how I wish games like Halo Infinite operated with their lore, which is get you fully invested in its own discrete story, and then by the time they do stop dropping, you know, little pieces of the, the larger lore across the universe, you actually want to know what's happening, right? right. Like you feel like, well, I'm I'm already you know pot committed. Yeah, you need I, to start. I really small. care. Yeah. It's so. When did this game come out? January. Like February, February, February I, think. I think, yeah. I, it's mm-hmm. so funny because the more we talk about it, literally right now in this moment, the more hyped I'm getting. Because it's that so game, good. the tone of Resident Evil Village, the like relentless, almost like B-movie uh, like level horror that it delivered, that tone absolutely did it for me. Like yeah. it, 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 the, the Pinocchio and uh, Frankenstein and Dracula and uh, all that, it, it that is completely accurate because that game it does not take itself seriously really at all until maybe the last like you know fifth of the story or whatever well, and the it, rest of the time it's just like a a non-stop uh like really schlocky but really well made story that uh i i could not put down yeah but we try i mean so there, there's uh our, our friends at the into the aether the like wonderful video game podcast have been talking about camp lately in relation yeah. to like halo infinite and how halo infinite at its best feels campy um but it doesn't manage to like stick to it resident evil village to me is like the definition of good campy video game where the, it is all silly but everyone involved with it it's taking the creation of it very seriously all the performances are like earnest performances the writing is intended to be good writing it just happens to also be quite silly because you are a human god who's trying to collect the body parts of someone you love like yeah mm-hmm. you know it, it's it what you're doing is is inherently weird but the 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 way it propels forward is like told as if it were any other story and it, it does as campy and silly as it is it also got some pretty good scares out of me it got some, uh, we we can talk a lot about the, the baby the, about well that you can talk a lot about like Lady Dimitrescu uh, and like how memed she got, but then when she starts like turning, you turn a corner and see her with her big ass claws. 
uh, like nine feet taller than you are. That's good. That's a that'll get a that'll tighten up the old butt it, cheeks. Whoa. Y'all, it, it, I'm starting to get the sense that Resident Evil might win this. If that's the case, we might want to have a vote. That way, we have some stuff to chat about in the final round. Yeah, I know what you're yeah. saying. Uh, yeah, I you know honestly, guys, I I Inscription is my favorite game of the year. Um, but the complaints about the mechanics, especially in the in the second act, are like very legitimate. I I let the fact that I loved everything it was doing to sort of like color that, but I very much was like, it went from loving the mechanics to sort of like powering yeah. through to see what the story was going right. to do next. Um, and I think that's a completely uh, uh, legitimate. Legitimate I would point. play, obviously, like, the change in world and all the stuff that Inscription does, like, that's the magic trick. Like, that's the reason why it is, like, I think getting a lot of goatee uh, heat right now. But also, to, to rival that, I would play, like, a full-length act one of Inscription. Because yeah. I I thought that was so fucking cool and, and great and scary and unsettling and smart, uh... And I, you know, some of those adjectives would go on to describe the other acts, but I think you will see way more narrative driven card experiences in a couple years inspired by this. Yeah, I would not be surprised. I agree. I think inscription rules also. I, 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 I've soured on the story at the conclusion quite a bit. And I, this is just a thing for indie games. I really wish indie games, if they're going to have a live action video, cast people that i assume are not your friends um because the <laughs> i i just i know i said it before i can't get over the idea of there's like such a pivotal role in this game and the actress is extremely talented but it makes no sense it's like they i don't, I don't understand why this company hired somebody in their 20s um and it like really breaks the game for me in a truly bizarre way it is funny because i find i completely agree with you i also find it like weirdly charming in the like it is film school yeah. kind of way but it, it it does seem also i mean that's a part of the reason that i found the end entertaining is because it was so ridiculous yeah but i get um, it thanks to steven spawn for like introducing yeah, that show like that was literally my first exposure he's like i've been playing this neat thing and i i instantly like uh got got into it and bullied everybody else into getting into it too. Uh, yep. All right, Resident Evil, what a what a wild showdown this last thing is. I was not necessarily expecting this. Nor I. Uh, M- Metroid Dread versus Resident Evil Village. Yeah, I was really hoping that Halo would have pulled up. Sorry. <laughs> okay, let's do it. <laughs> you were hoping what? Halo is going to pull it out. <laughs> I mean, do you want to go... No, no. Just no. so Resident Evil no, could I'm, trounce I'm it? I'm messing with you, Justin. I'm sorry. Uh... Okay. <laughs> I should. Here's what I like to suggest. Let's let's take a pause before we f- we finish the head to head because we just talked about these two games in depth. Let's give a little breathing room and just talk about the the rest of the year. Some other stuff that like popped for for everybody. Uh, I could start yeah. real quickly because I mentioned Kingdom Two Crowns mm-hmm. that I've been like absolutely obsessed with. Uh, and just like and it's timely because just uh this month. They released Norselands, which is um, a complete – it's really cool what they're doing with it. There's several of these, by the way, where it's like the game has been completely reskinned with like a different 
different. This is obviously takes it to like a Norse setting. So your little uh, dudes that you're recruiting, the structures that you're building, it all looks completely different. And there are some like interesting little mechanical changes, which are small enough that people who weren't, yeah, you know, deep into the game probably wouldn't appreciate. So it's not really worth detailing here. But um, I just finished the main thing and like instantly went and started a Norselands campaign. And it's like mechanically not that different, but the core mechanics are so good in Kingdom Two Crowns. I'd really love for you guys to try it. Not I, not for any game of the rear reason, just because like I think it's really genius. Um, but but that and it's like a three dollar. Uh, upgrade, I think, for the for the Norselands content. And it's just like uh, a really cool way of like breathing new life into something that I wanted to keep playing, but in like a new setting and new things to discover. And it's uh, beautiful to look at and uh, in a way that's like similar to, but not exactly like kind of like a Super Brothers kind of vibe. Sure. Um, that sort of like beautiful, slightly gothic, um, you know, retro look. Uh, I, I just think I, I love it. If you, if you were looking for something to play on most platforms, I think at this point, uh, it's well worth checking. Can out. I just say in that same context, I love to see these smaller games from indie studios, just getting this like long-term support to the point of like, Hey, if something works and maybe the audience is not like tens of millions of people, but the audience is pretty big. We're just going to keep, giving you updates over time and some of them are paid and some of them are free you look at a game like dead cells which has a new expansion coming out or i think it's coming out in january i think think it might be out okay or it might be out um stardew valley too yeah or stardew valley or like so many of these games are sort of building on this model of oh we made this popular game we're going to keep it at the top of the sales charts because we're constantly going to be giving you reasons to boot it up again and it's awesome. I, I'm like so charmed by it, which is sort of a good segue because uh, I don't think I've played any game other than Binding, you know, more than Binding of Isaac this year. Same. And, um, you know, we've talked about it a lot in recent weeks as Griffin has sort of gotten into it. But talk about a series that has been doing that for 10 years at this point uh, of, of updates and just like layering in ways to sort of scale up the original format and um this repentance is 20 bucks but also well worth the amount of content you get for that is uh is outrageous yeah to give you an idea so in the the original uh the original game or at least the last update before repentance came out there were 15 playable characters this is a little bit of a spoiler but i think it's worth knowing repentance adds 15 more playable characters they're all like very creative twists on the original characters but giving you an entire hundreds of hours of reasons to go through and replay these uh, levels with new characters in addition to adding new chapters and stuff like that. And that, I think, is will continue to be the future of gaming where we have this successful thing or this popular thing and we just sort of cultivate it like a seed yeah. and it just grows out from there and, and lives way longer you know, Binding of Isaac, when it first came out, was a Flash game that we thought was going to be whatever. You play for a month and that's it. And now we're 10 years later. That's incredible and so exciting. So, yeah. Fucking I'm I'm sharing a game that I haven't played. Uh, cool. I don't know if any of us have played it. Did, did Have any of you played Before Your Eyes? Haven't even heard of it. 
So this is our big miss of the year, uh, and I apologize to everybody who is ex- hoping for us to to talk about it. We will talk about it next year, I'm sure. Uh, Before Your Eyes is a game that you control with your eyeballs. Um, you use the eye tracking uh, to control the game, and when you blink, it uh, effectively, like from what I understand, ends a scene and moves on to another scene or serves as some sort of input. Again, I haven't played it. Um, this is the game that I saw making a real last-minute run on a lot of Game of Year lists from people I respect, um, like Jacob Geller. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing it. Uh, I, I wish I had more to this say about it. cool. Yeah, it right? real cool. I mean, yeah. th- this is the cool thing about video games, right? Like, there, <laughs> there will always be a game like this every year for us that we miss just because there is so much out right. there. Um, but yeah. like that, that rules, uh, especially since January is usually pretty slow. So I, I, I look forward to having something new to play over the holiday. I, I would argue another one we missed, uh, which has shown up on virtually every other game of the year list is Chicory. Uh, that game, which, rules. yeah, that one, that one kind of slipped yeah, between the cracks. I feel like it's one we would have gotten. I, on I, Switch, I started Justin. playing it on PC and, um, di- like didn't really get it i feel like uh but then it literally just came out on switch last week uh in like one of those indie world surprise drops and it's really good and uh really well written and has a lot of really cool stuff to say about like like uh imposter syndrome which i think is a thing that is relatable to pretty much all internet content creators uh uh, like i was looking for something more than just like oh you run around the world and you can paint stuff if you want to um, but now I love running around the world and painting stuff. Like I will take time to like color in a person's house just to make it, you know, for for no reason, uh, unless there's some sort of side quest associated with it. It's just a little and special game. The one that I can't believe like I didn't bring to this list is Hitman Three, uh, which I adored. Like I talked about how excited I was to finally like get into this this franchise that I'd always wanted to get into and how successful Hitman three was in virtually every way. Um, and I just, I, it, 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 there's probably some things now that were on my top five that I submitted for, for our game of the year approval that thinking back, I probably enjoyed Hitman three a bit more than that. I don't know if it resonated with anybody else too. I don't think it would make it very far in these considerations, but it, it, uh, Hitman three fucking rules. Yeah. It was on my top five list. Um, and I completely agree with you. It's fabulous. You know, we, I think I talked about it in the context of Deathloop last episode, specifically the idea of like where Deathloop can be very locked down and limiting yeah. in terms of how you do things. Hitman 3, super duper not. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was just like really amazed by how much creativity, how much freedom you're granted um, in in that game. Uh, it's really quite spectacular and also has seen like a number of content updates since launch which is also really exciting um yeah hitman 3 rocked one of my favorite games of the year all right we've put this off enough i think okay metroid dread versus resident evil village should we just do a like a heads up vote right now just to see where the where the which way the wind's blowing let's do that just so because we're curious Let's I all said say at the that, same time. and I don't actually know which one of these I want to vote for. <laughs> okay, take a second. I'm going to count to three, and then everybody's going to say the name of the best game of the year. Okay. Okay. And not inscription, which obviously is the best game of the year, but it's no longer in contention. One, 
two, Metroid, Resident Metroid Evil Village. Village. Resident Evil Village. Yeah, see, that's going to be a this is going to be a show. We have to do more show now. Um, now there's more show. Man, I really I. Oh, part man. of this, uh, I'm oh. going to say this. Part of this is I still feel pretty strongly that, and maybe this isn't fair, Resident Evil 4 is the best Resident Evil game ever made. False. And, and that I, I've wow. only been more confident of that as I play the VR version, which right. is spectacular. I really, really loved Resident Evil Village. Um, That's a shame because it, Metroid Dread can't win now because there have been other good Metroidvanias. Yeah, that's Just true. Saying. That's a huge knock against yeah, Metroid. Yeah. And you know what? They used a lot of the stuff from the last Metroid game that <laughs> okay. was good when they were making Metroid Dread. Okay, I'm going like, to talk about Village. Come on, guys. Make, just make her let a me, wizard. Let me knock down you know? Village a little bit. Yeah, yeah fuck it up, it. Russ. Um, I think two of the environments in Village, and there are not that many, maybe mm. three if you count the actual Village itself, are like, eh. I think the castle is spectacular. I think the haunted doll cabin spectacular i have no enthusiasm for like walking through a cruddy dock or a broken down village or a factory full of of frankensteins yeah on the flip side though it's really cool to run through rock tunnels for fucking 12 hours (laughs) and then sometimes they're covered in and sometimes they're covered in metal i mean we all love exploring the rich tapestry of the caves and metal rooms of Metroid. Uh, yeah, that's I, not fair. Metroid Dread has a lot of bi- biodiversity. Uh, yeah, there's I, a it, hot yeah. place and a cold place. No. Oh, yeah, Okay, I love okay, that. how about, like, <laughs> the, like, ancient civilization that has been locked down that you wander into and accidentally do a very unfortunate thing that then changes the rest of the environments for the rest of the game? Like, I don't think that's a complaint you can leverage against Metroid Dread. I think, I think Metroid Dread's world feels like extremely alive uh yeah I, but that's but I that's think, also i i disagree with russ entirely also about his criticisms okay. for resident evil village it's, <laughs> it's each one of those is like its own little horror movie and yeah. i think that the environments work perfectly for what you know tone they're going for i kind of wish it was more colorful quite honestly like they took a little bit more risk like even those. harder on it yeah sure oh man resident evil village is good though it's really good Remember when you have to find the the sad fish person, and they're just so sad, and then you know that, that, that was it's like, not going to go that well was for them. Far my least favorite part Me- of the entire. Blow them up. Remember how Gonzo it is that there's like you're like finding baby parts in jars, guys. <laughs> you know how you know how one of the major AAA releases of the year <laughs> is about finding baby parts in jars. You remember that? It's a wild a thing. thing. It's yeah. wild. <sighs> It's so well written. It's so well performed. Narratively, the story lands so much more than Resident Evil, which, or sorry, Heart of the Metroid, which, like, I'm sorry, is not about anything. Like, that, it's the, there, there's not even like a no, theme okay. or a narrative point that it's making. There is a, I'm not saying that it, every game has to be like about something, but like, Resident Evil is saying interesting things about family and the nature of family. Is where it? like, I, yeah, I think so. Yes. What do you, ta- of course. I, I, what? That didn't hit me very hard, but let me just say, Metroid Dread kind of is the culmination of all of the Metroid g- games so far, like all the mainline <laughs> Metroid games so far. You can laugh. But, I mean, it is. It touches no, I, I, no from, you're, you're, from you're right. I, I'm and, sorry. I, I, I just, it's just To, to say that Metroid Dread doesn't funny. have a story is like, is, is like patently false, I feel like. like it's not that it doesn't, it, I'm making the point that like, okay, here's what I'm saying, that stories, the way that I'm using the term, stories tell you something about like 
the world or the human condition or something. They have a point of yeah, view that is expressing the author's perspective on something. I'm saying that like you will finish Metroid Dread and not at any point question anything about anything. And then you can finish Resident Evil and like have like actual thoughts or maybe I'm not saying it's like a, a, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius or something, but like it does have like thematic elements that are about something. And I think that that is uh, laudable and makes the time that you spend with it like more meaningful because it's not just about, you know, the mechanics. There's there's, you know, th there's more I, going on. Oh, OK, for what it's worth, Metro Dread does have thematic elements about legacy and family and uh, the idea of like conquering your past. And like, if you really want to like go down that road, I do think I think it's more pointed in Resident Evil Village, like it's more obvious, but because, you know, Samus says like three lines in the total of Metroid Dread, but it, you know, it's definitely there. Um, I think for Metroid, the thing that separates it is just, you don't, you don't need to have played the past Resident Evil games in order to feel that, to play Resident Evil Village. I think in order to get that from Metroid Dread, you have to know like the history of the X parasite and the origins of her Chozo suit powers and like, yeah, all that, that probably helps all yeah. that stuff. And in, in, in either case, I, I don't think uh, the I mean, story is like, why we're playing is either of these games, game. right? Yeah, like yeah. It, read a book. <laughs> but this is, thank you. Like, thank you, Chris. But, and let's, and yes. let's, that's a good point. Let's all remind ourselves that video game Look. stories are all, trash compared to literally the worst book you could imagine <laughs> the worst book has a better I, story than it, the best video game i think we can all agree I did, on okay <laughs> this is not i'm not saying that it's a failing of metroid dread right but it is like if halo was still in this we would have to bring the multiplayer component of halo into it and that wouldn't be something that metroid dread is trying to do I, we're just talking about why things are are more or less successful. No, no, for I, us. I, I think that's. And fair. I liked, I liked as a, especially as a parent, like I like games that are talking about <laughs> that what put that baby means, parts like, in what jars. It means to be a parent. <laughs> as a parent, right. <laughs> metaphorically, metaphorically yes. about how you can't protect your kids from the world and how you would do anything to try to do that, and in the end, you can't. Like I think that it it's a very powerful beat, especially for a game. Where the like big narrative arc previously has been about like fuck that guy's so big and he can walk through any wall and I hate <laughs> yeah. it like I think that that's a big victory. The the multiplayer mode for Village hasn't come out yet, right? The reverse thing. Uh, I don't think so. That's a separate game. I think that's isn't a it? separate thing. No, yeah. I think it's I played a, I mercenaries, it but that's not multiplayer. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, look, I, I I would agree that the narrative elements in Res Resident Evil Village are, are more obvious. Um, I don't think that's where Dread's strong suit lies. I think Dread, uh, just from like a game feel perspective, from a boss design perspective, Metroid Dread has yeah. some of my favorite boss designs I've ever seen in a game. Um, that like fucking um, uh, Flappy Bird shit in the middle of <laughs> a fight. That was like, really yeah, 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 it, that's it, cool. It hits really peaks cool. on those boss designs that are spectacular. The um, cutscenes, like after you finish a boss fight, are universally fucking badass. Of Samus, like showing, like Samus doing stuff that, like, I really wish Halo would absorb more. Which is, you don't need to show that much to really emphasize. Um, how cool this character is. Right. And I think Halo struggles with that sometimes where it's just like, well, we're just going to have Master Chief say, I'm going to finish the fight and that's it. 
and you could eat, say less and still leave an impact. Um, I, I love both these games. The thing that keeps me coming back to Metro Tread and Russ just made me think of it is like anytime you take down one of these fucking Emmy bots that chase you around. And especially when you fit, like for me, beating the final boss in Metroid Dread, which took me maybe 20 tries, yeah, uh, gave me a sense of like exhilaration that like, you know, a really good Souls game can do when you beat a, a really well-designed boss in one of those uh, that Metroid Evil or Resident Evil Village didn't like necessarily do. I didn't find that game particularly like challenging, which takes a lot of the the sort of scares out of it. Um hmm. It feels like a more of a movie and less of a game to me, Resident Evil Village. It felt like beating right. it was an inevitability. Um, whether that's a good or a bad thing is sort of up to you and what you're looking yeah. for from games. No, that, 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 that makes sense because, beyond good and bad. Yeah, I think sure. at this point it's about like what is landing for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel right? like I, I, I like you don't have to. It doesn't have to be a a negative or sure. positive. It's yeah. just sort of you know why I it's like working. the feel of conquering something that I know is fair but still difficult which I think Metro Dread is that. Uh, Resident Evil Village, I mean, you could jack up the difficulty all the, all the way if you want, but it's not like a necessarily super balanced experience. Well, and the me mechanics can't support yeah, right. that, right? It's not like it's like, oh, it's, uh, Halo is a good example of like, you you know, it's kind of, it feels different, but it's still a very satisfying thing because it's it's okay for you to, scale that difficulty and they've mm. thought about that i don't think that uh resident evil has sure, that yeah. kind of can, but can again we, but, but 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 that is also not a great thing like in terms of accessibility right because you can right. pick up resident evil village and potentially tune it to the place where you can experience all that this game does have to offer you and it has a lot to offer whereas that is not that is not a possibility for metroid dread which That's is true. I, I would yes. say a pretty big mark against it um, so real quick, I'm going to go through our previous Gotti winners, if that's okay with you. And then we can see how sure. this, you know, how these two feel coming after that, that list. Does that work? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So this is, uh, off the, the best you've subreddit they ever written down. Uh, so I hope it's all right. Uh, 2012, our first one, we gave it to Dishonored. Feel yeah. About that. 2013, we gave it to The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. Very, Very Metroid Dread-esque, I would say. Yeah. Uh, 2014, we give it to Dark Souls 2, and there's a parenthetical here. New York Giraffe put in the tiebreaker vote over Hearthstone. We can't do that. <laughs> what a weird year. Yeah, what do you, oh, oh, it gets weirder. 2015, an inconclusive tie between Bloodborne, Rocket League, and Undertale. <laughs> what well, what a yeah. bunch of shitheads. <laughs> Although, you know what? If I were to sit here right now, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, not Undertale, obviously, or Rocket League. I guess I do. <laughs> uh, 2016, Stardew Valley, which, mm -hmm. yeah, that sounds great. Easy. Oh, God, let's not. 2017, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Great. Yep. 2018, 100%. Return of the Obra Dinn. Yes. Choice. God, Fuck that's a yes. good video game. Yep. Let's make that the <laughs> game yep. of the year. Hey, come on, bud. Let's have another game, come bud. On, bud. Come on. Come on, bud. 2019, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. Beating out Outer Worlds, which... Outer Wilds, I'm sorry. Outer Wilds. The right choice, Outer Wilds. Outer Wilds. Anyway. 2020. I did that. Do you know I did that to someone? I met someone in Seattle who was on the... Uh, uh, who worked at um, Obsidian. And I... <laughs> Fully was like, yeah, man, I love the Outer, outer Wilds. They're like, well, that's not... <laughs> 
ours. <laughs> 2020 was Hades. Yeah. Okay, so knowing all of that, yeah, it seems pretty obvious. Resident Evil Village. Great. We've done it. Okay. I, uh, I can't, I really want to cross. I love both of these games. I know. It's, 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 I, Resident Evil is like edging it out because I love a lot of the, the stuff that it's do. I just, I really, I think the world is so cool. And, and beyond the theme, like the characters that you meet, like the Duke is like one of the, like to, to take again, like the merchant who has been kind of a joke in previous games to make them like, not only like sort of pl- more mysterious, but also plot like relevant. plot right. relevant in a way that actually feels like, I loved when that when that that bit lands like I I thought was so cool and like I really uncharacteristic for a Resident Evil game like the way the narrative kind of like evolves and and surprises you constantly like I really really loved that um I I I just thought that the 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 narrative of Resident Evil like clicked with me so hard um and you know <sighs> I'll do it I'll switch yeah I think I, I I love both of these games, and when I think about them both, it's like two f- old ass franchises that are moving in the best imaginable direction. I feel like great year for that Halo two, yeah, right? Sure. Like it, really good year um, for that. Uh, and I think Metroid Dread is an exceptional game that does everything it does really well and challenges me in a way that I found like really really cool, uh, but also is a reason why lots of other people could not get into it. I think Resident Evil Village succeeds in in pretty much every every like direction it tries to go and is like a much more sort of accessible experience that accessible not only in the sort of mechanical way but also in the narrative way. Like I think you could pick this game up and play it and if you like any horror movie at all like have a real ball with it. Um and also I think it would be pretty novel for us to give Resident Evil Village the game of the year not uh because I'm not seeing a lot of people like remembering how fucking great that game was. 2021, uh, the year of the mom and dad gamer. I mean, yeah. oh Metroid Dread, sure. Halo Infinite, Resident. Two. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> oh wait, we forgot about game of the year. It takes two. Um, all right, Resident Evil Village. I'm I am cool with that. Uh, I think Metroid Dread will always be the game of the year in my heart. But you know, cool. I, I I do love Resident Evil Village, and it w- it wouldn't be besties if someone didn't leave a little bit disappointed right it, that that's what chris reminded me of going through the game of the year list is like man we've given a lot of fucking stellar games second place so um yeah yeah man so congratulations can we say it yeah. officially officially congratulations resident evil village 2021's game of the year and god griffin i'm so glad you flipped because i was like 10 seconds okay. away Woo! <laughs> Woo! Woo! uh real real nail biter there for me personally um Thank you so much to the following people for writing these reviews on Apple Podcasts. Doodad, 345, Will, Gollyhue, Mystery Wizard, Rebe, and B. Staffieri. Uh, uh, thank you for writing reviews. Thank you to everyone else who has written reviews of the last uh, past couple weeks as well as the last year. Yes. Hugely appreciate it. Um, it's great to see. We always, uh, it helps us a lot and uh, it in- encourages us to continue doing the show. And uh, to recap the games that we talked about today. Metroid Dread, Wildermyth, Halo Infinite, Monster Hunter Rise, Inscription, Forza, Horizon 5, Unsighted, and our besties, bestie game of the year 2021, Resident Evil Village. We also had honorable mentions for 
Kingdom Two Crowns, Northlands, Binding of Isaac, Repentance, Before Your Eyes, Chicory, and Hitman 3. That is it. What a year. Another year in the books. We're entering we're entering year 10. Wild. Yes. Uh, we are going to yeah. be on vacation next week. Uh, we're yes. all go- getting together, going to Cabo, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back on January 7th with a new episode. We're going to be talking about games in 2022 that we're stoked out of our gourds for. Be sure to join us for that. Uh, and uh, be sure to always join us for the besties. Because shouldn't the world's best friends pick the world's best games? Steve.